Hey there, it's me, Malika. For the next few episodes, I'm handing over the microphone to my colleague, Patty Sabga. I'll be back soon. Bitcoin is having a moment. Bitcoin has passed 60,000 US dollars for the first time this weekend. Bitcoin has actually just reached its all-time high of over $60,000. That's more than double what one Bitcoin was worth at the start of the year, and more than five and a half times what it was trading for at the beginning of October. But if FOMO is getting the best of you, consider this. Bitcoin may be making some investors fabulously rich, right now at least, but at what cost to people and the planet? Bitcoin uses more electricity per transaction than any other method known to mankind. I'm Patricia Sabga, in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. The first Bitcoins were mined in 2009. And since then, the world's most popular cryptocurrency has been through two booms. I am a Bitcoin millionaire. I just found out that I am Bitcoin rich. I was 18 years old when I made my first million dollars. It felt pretty great. That both went spectacularly bust. The cryptocurrency slump continues. Bitcoin is trading around its lowest level since 2017, down some 80% since the end of last year, and dragging down other coins. Fast forward to March 2020. A global pandemic has just been declared. Markets are freaking out, and people are selling everything to amass war chests of U.S. dollars. Stocks, bonds, gold, and cryptocurrencies. The value of Bitcoin dropped 13% on Thursday, this after gaining about 50% in value over the past three months. Look at what is happening. Bitcoin down 7.5%. That's like a 700-point drop. During the darkest days of lockdowns last year, one Bitcoin was worth a little over $5,500. So what changed? Well, a lot of assets recovered from their 2020 lows, including Bitcoin. But this latest rally didn't really ignite until October. That's when PayPal, the online platform that facilitates payments, said it was launching a new cryptocurrency service. And crucially, that it was laying the groundwork to let its customers use Bitcoin to pay for things. For Bitcoin believers, that was a game changer. Because it signaled what they all hope Bitcoin will become one day a mainstream form of payment. More fuel for the rally followed in December, when strategists at J.P. Morgan Chase said that Bitcoin's rise was coming at the expense of none other than gold. They were making the point that there have been outflows from gold and inflows into Bitcoin. Bitcoin would trade like gold. Enter Elon Musk, the tech visionary, by some measures, the world's richest person, Well, in late January, he added hashtag Bitcoin to his Twitter profile, which sparked a rally. A far more significant endorsement followed in February when Tesla, the electric vehicle maker Musk founded and runs, it disclosed that it had bought $1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin and would start accepting it as a form of payment. The announcement by the electric car company drove the Bitcoin price soaring to over $44,000 per unit. Like previous Bitcoin rallies, many are questioning whether this latest one really has legs. 
It's also shining a light on Bitcoin's darker side. This is where Ben Piven enters. Ben has done a lot of reporting for Al Jazeera Digital at the crossroads of climate and finance. And recently, Bitcoin has become a big focus of that beat. Hello, Patricia. How are you? I'm fine. Listen, I really want to explore the underbelly of Bitcoin with you. There is a downside to Bitcoin, especially for the planet. Sure, Patty, that's something near and dear to me. And many climate advocates are very concerned right now. Bitcoin is very energy intensive and the mining process to create Bitcoin and to verify all of the transactions that are taking place, it uses a lot of electricity. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar with what Ben's talking about, here's a simple explanation, or my best effort at it. Unlike fiat currencies like the dollar or yen or euro, Bitcoin is not controlled by a government. There's a finite number of coins, and they don't need a middleman like a bank to verify transactions. That's because Bitcoin, by design, is decentralized. Transactions are verified by a vast, global, decentralized network of computers that compete to verify them. And the winner is rewarded with Bitcoins. That process of those computers racing to release new Bitcoins, that's mining. That's how Bitcoin mining works. And there are all kinds of YouTube tutorials on how it's done. All you need to do is guess a random number that solves an equation generated by the system. Sounds simple, right? Of course, this guessing is all done by your computer. The more powerful of a computer you have, the more guesses you can make per second. The key words there are power and computer. Bitcoin mining is typically done by very expensive rigs, sometimes thousands of machines running at once. And what powers those powerful computers? It uses a lot of electricity, a lot of power. You can actually hear the power. Seriously, listen for it. That's not radio static. Remember, this is a podcast. It's actually the sound of one Bitcoin mining operation. Thousands of computers laboring in unison. Unfortunately, much of that power is created by coal fired power plants, and that's contributing to air pollution, carbon emissions in the atmosphere, which make our global warming and climate change problem even worse. And Bitcoin is being mined all over the world. This is a Bitcoin mine hidden deep in the mountains of Sichuan in China. China accounts for the lion's share of mining, but lots of other countries are at it too, like Iran. This week, the Iranian Chamber of Commerce approved crypto mining. And Iceland. One such operation is situated within a series of ordinary-looking sheds by an abandoned World War II airstrip in the west of Iceland. And the U.S. You see the transformers lined up on the outside. We have a lot of megawatts. But Bitcoin supporters are crying foul over charges that cryptocurrencies are less climate-friendly than traditional ones. They say that the system that supports fiat currencies... Again, dollars, yen, euros. They say that system has a massive carbon footprint, too. Yes, Bitcoin proponents would say that the entire fiat money system is even more polluting. The people who are getting to their office jobs at big banks, the central government that is printing 
large amounts of paper currency and all these different aspects of how the world financial structure operates are very consumptive of energy and a lot of that is fossil fuel energy. So just to help people get their mind around this, what kind of carbon footprint are we talking here? Right, so there have been different measures of that. People have put out there the nation of Argentina. That's the amount of power that this global Bitcoin network is currently using on an annual basis. But then when we start to look into these environmental and social and even governance effects, there is cause to sort of take pause. So you just gave us the planet perspective. What about the social aspects? Sure, Patty. I would say that there is this risk that people are taking on if it crashes. It could take down a a lot of people. The critics will say that there is this dark side of money laundering, drug runners, illicit activities are going on, just money that's not supposed to go where it's going. There's a lot of that going on. That's actually also a big part of the demand for crypto. And it's not that cryptocurrency and Bitcoin are fully anonymous. It's actually pseudonymous, but you can't necessarily track them down so easily, although there is this digital trail. And U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, she recently voiced her concerns about criminals and crypto. I don't think that Bitcoin, I've said this before, is widely used as a transaction mechanism. To the extent it's used, I fear it's often for illicit finance. It's an extremely inefficient way of conducting transactions and the amount of energy processing those transactions is staggering. It can be extremely volatile, and I do worry about potential losses that investors in it could suffer. All reasons why the specter of tighter regulation looms. So I think there are a lot of concerns that U.S. regulators have at the moment about the potential for Bitcoin. It is not that widespread yet, but for the perspective of people investing in it, When they see Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen and other folks at the SEC, that they may engage in in more crackdown measures on cryptocurrency, you don't really want to bet on something that has this potential downside regulatory risk. Now, since 2018, Iranian authorities have cracked down on the crypto space, and then they've pulled back, and then they crack down, and then they pull back. Al Jazeera's Maziar Motamedi has, has written a lot about Iran's sort of love-hate relationship with cryptocurrencies, especially with Bitcoin. I think cryptocurrencies have become so popular in Iran for two major reasons. One, Iran's national currency, the real, has been devaluing a lot for the past three years under U.S. sanctions and local mismanagement. And there is a high inflation for the past four decades, as high as 40, 50 percent from time to time. And when your national currency keeps going down and inflation keeps going up, you have to do something to maintain the quality of your life and make some money because the job market here is not doing that well as well. So cryptocurrencies that are gradually going up in value could be a very good hedge against a devaluing national currency. And Maziar says a lot of Iranian millennials are investing in cryptocurrencies. 
But like other governments, Iran is struggling to fully grasp the nature of crypto. In the past three years, Iranian authorities have intermittently cracked down on the use, exchange and mining of cryptocurrencies in a manner that shows they don't necessarily realize the nature of the technology they're dealing with. Some of the rules and directives over the past three years have been confusing. A virtual blanket ban was imposed about three years ago that says that cryptocurrencies can't be used in Iran's financial centers without really explaining what that means. Its stated purpose was to fight money laundering and terrorism financing. It did single out banks and credit institutions, but it didn't specifically mention whether cryptocurrency exchanges fall under the umbrella of that directive. Iranian officials have also blamed crypto mining for power blackouts and high levels of air pollution, even though, says Maziar, the grid there has been outdated and in need of an upgrade for years. That brings us to China, where authorities have also been cracking down on crypto mining, which brings us back to Ben Piven. So, Ben, you wrote a fantastic article for us about China's recent crackdown on cryptocurrencies and especially Bitcoin mining. That Bitcoin is largely being mined with energy that comes from coal. And right now, China is trying to reduce the amount of carbon emissions it's putting into the atmosphere in order to conform to their national five-year plans that Beijing is implementing and also the Paris Climate Agreement. And so the regional government up in Inner Mongolia, which is within China, but adjacent to the country of Mongolia, has said, sorry, Bitcoin miners, those of you who have plans to start up new operations and those of you who are already operating these rigs, these mining cartels, as it were, you can no longer be hogging all of this energy because it's messing up our climate commitments and our targets for this five-year plan. How big a player is China in the Bitcoin world right now? China controls about two-thirds of the global hash rate. That's the total computational power of mining operations. And when you look at China specifically, the biggest percentage of that is taking place in Xinjiang. That would be the province of Xinjiang, where the United Nations says more than one million minority Uyghur Muslims have been held in internment camps. The United States and other governments have labeled China's treatment of Uyghurs a genocide, a charge Beijing denies, claiming that the internment camps are vocational training centers to fight extremism. Has the crypto community said anything about that, about these mining activities happening in what is ground zero for what many are calling horrific human rights abuses of Uyghur Muslims? You know, Patty, I can't exactly speak for the crypto community, for Bitcoin lovers. What I can say is that they're not necessarily known for their advocacy of democracy, human rights. They are very libertarian in a sense. Clearly, Xinjiang is the biggest hub of mining activity within China. There's a severe human rights problem there. And I think that the Bitcoin community should start to grapple with that in in some fashion. And clearly that is a reputational risk for Bitcoin. Now, Bitcoin's not the only cryptocurrency out there. Is there a more planet-friendly cryptocurrency option? 
That's a great question, Patty. In my recent reporting, I came across some experts on cryptocurrency who truly believe that proof of stake rather than proof of work is the way to run cryptocurrencies of the future. That may sound very technical. It is. But very simply put, proof of work is involves a lot more energy. It's a lot clunkier. It's TBD whether that will truly take root amongst all cryptocurrencies. There, there's certainly cryptocurrencies that are already relying on proof of stake mining. And if so, then I think cryptocurrency has the hope of becoming much more climate friendly. So one of the really fascinating things about Bitcoin is it transcends any government. You have communities of Bitcoin enthusiasts really around the world. It's this community that is in many ways beyond the reach of governments. And evangelists might say, that's a real utopian vision. But others would say, no, that could be chaos though, because nobody controls it. What I would say is that there's a utopian vision, but there's also this vision of just being fun and entertaining. And I think there's this global community around Bitcoin that some people accuse of being cultish, almost like a religion, that people live and breathe this cryptocurrency vision and, and they wake up in the morning and they've essentially pledged allegiance to a crypto god. You look at a cryptocurrency such as Dogecoin, which is fun, and Elon Musk, he loves it. And there are all these memes, it's this, Shiba Inu, Japanese dog, it's so cute. And who wouldn't love Dogecoin? And in that sense, the, the value is really what people want to pay for them to be entertained, to experience this excitement of, of being part of a community that is fun in a lot of ways. Hot, this is great, hey, Dogecoin, let's do it. <laughs> okay, I've got one more question. It's a personal one, you don't have to answer it, but Ben, you recently became a dad to a gorgeous wee baby girl. Would you want to put Bitcoin in her college fund? Full disclosure, I've not yet bought any cryptocurrency for myself. So TBD, I would buy some to play around with, as Mark Cuban has suggested he did for his kid as well. And Elon Musk has talked about his uh, toddler hodler, hodler which is hold on for dear lifer. That's the crypto <laughs> jargon for somebody who's in it to win it. He is setting aside some Dogecoin for his son, but I've not yet taken that step for my daughter. She, she's not a toddler hodler yet, but maybe one of these days, we'll see. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Nagin Oliay, Alexandra Locke, Priyanka Tilve, Ney Alvarez, Dina Kisbe and me, Patricia Sabga, in this week from Malika Bilal. Our sound designer is Alex Roldan. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer, and Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. We'll be back on Friday. <laughs>